this episode of On The Rope Podcast, straight off the back of International Women's Day, Chelsea chats with 1999 world champion Joe Webb. Joe's ski racing tale is one of discipline, hard work and dedication. So strap yourself in for this one. It's a cracker. Welcome, Joe Webb, or should I say, uh, commonly known in the water ski racing community as Joanne Hamilton. Welcome to On The Rope, Joe. It is an absolute privilege to have another Victorian female water ski racing world champion here today to share the stories uh, of success, but also most importantly, the journey that you embarked on to lead to so many successful results over the year for you and your crew. I'm really excited today. To learn about your journey, Joe, I vividly remember as a 12-year-old Chelsea standing there in Sydney at the uh, World Championships. I think it was 1999. I don't know these days. All the dates merged together. Uh, watching you uh, along with your partner over the years, Joanne, uh, sorry, Leanne Brown and Tracy Gratz competing those Sydney World Championships. And uh, I must say, I was in awe of you girls then and still in awe of all your success now. And I can probably thank you, along with the other women, for, uh, for where I went on on my journey over the last 25 years in water ski racing because it was all inspired off someone like yourself, along with all the competitors back in the 1990s watching as a under 10. So pretty cool to now be interviewing one of my heroes of the sport. So Welcome on board, Joe, and I'm very excited to uh, to get started. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you for inviting me, and um, that was a very kind of you to to intro that way. No, look, it's all true, and uh, you asked my mum. I uh, was always looking up to yourself, uh, Leanne Brown and, and Tracy Gratt, so it's pretty cool to now interview the superstars from back in the 1990s. But what I do love to do, Joe, is share your journey and that's what we're here to do today. And to get started, I'd love to hear how did you actually get into water ski racing and and how old were you when your your water ski racing career kicked off? Well, Chelsea, I'm hoping that I remember like enough. It's... um... I, I did speak to you earlier and just say when you asked me to do the podcast, I'll be honest, I don't often think about dates and even records and achievements, but I do know my parents, obviously, um, for those that don't know, um, are from Ireland and they they came out here and I think within a couple of weeks of being in, um, in Echuca, Lockington, they were introduced to going water skiing and so... We did get a little boat and um, it was a little red boat and they actually, it was actually called Joanne at the time and we used to always go out to Wills's Bend and just social ski. Um, and then I think it was from there, there was just like a whole crew that used to go down to Wills's Bend um, that used to do the river races. And so then we slowly started to get into, um, and I reckon I was probably eight or nine, I think the first one I did the Southern 80 and that was with my brother um, and it was back in the days where we just did the social skiing and we actually had three members of the team I don't even know whether they do that anymore but we were able actually to have and I was like the third person that was able to jump out when the other person got tired so really it was just a family sport we really loved just going out to Wills's Bend most weekends as a family and then we all started to just do the river races um, and that was myself and my brother to begin with um, dad would drive and mum would observe and then and then from there it just grew we started then to do some of the um the lake races and then we sort of got onto the circuit a little bit more and yeah I'm thinking it was probably when I was I don't know maybe 12 or 13 I just had a vision I thought well maybe I could become a world champion but yeah it was really just the love of going out to Wills's and it's something that I still share now with my own family I I did mention to you this morning that I needed to go and have a quick ski and um yeah I just really like going out to the river and so I think that's just where it sort of it started and then it, yeah it probably just grew from there and then from then when we grew out grew um skiing behind mum and dad that's when um we were lucky and fortunate enough to have a variety of different crew and boats that um I don't even want to go and mention too many people's names because I don't want to miss anybody but there was quite a few people that took me on my journey um obviously a lot from Victoria to begin with and then when I started to um yeah 
started to go into the selection races, that's where then I was able to be fortunate enough to be picked up by some different um, boat crew um, that were able to, yeah, take me on that journey as well. That's awesome. And for the international listeners who doesn't know, uh, who don't know, sorry, where Will's Bend is, that is actually one of the uh, the corners in the awesome Southern 80 ski race located here in Echuca, Victoria, Australia. So Joe is an Echuca girl. She grew up on the Murray River, as we've just heard. And I think, Joe, from everything you've just said then, uh, well, firstly, I'm pretty sure we would love to be able to tag team people in when we get tired in the Southern 80 these days. But uh, you're right. Unfortunately, we can't do that anymore. Uh, but I heard the word fun and family getting used a lot in that description of how you kicked off in this awesome sport of water ski racing. And and it's quite interesting because that filters through in every podcast that I've has done on the rope. And I think the word fun is um, fundamental in success and, and you used it a few times. So it's really cool. And you dropped in there that your vision at some point as a child was to become a world champion. And I can't wait to get to that point in the podcast. But to get started, I can already tell your mindset from a young age was, was pretty strong. Would love to hear, uh, you and I both know that mindset is a powerful thing. Uh, you're going to talk about your yoga career later on, and that's really heavily based around mindset. I, I started practicing in, in some yoga as well as part of my world's journey, so I can't wait to hear that. But love to, to hear about your mindset and, and your persistence in the sport of water ski racing before we go on to hear all the success stories uh, that you had as well. Oh, thanks, Chelsea. And I think I always try to look at things in a positive way. Um, I'd have to be really, really honest. I, I wasn't a super competitive um, skier. Um, I was probably just very driven myself, if that makes sense. Um, I think I just wanted to personally do well. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't know where that that drive has come from. My family have got fairly good, strong values. And you know, so I just worked really hard. And I think that's Initially, when I had um, wanted to do this, my parents, obviously, it's a big commitment and particularly, um, and I will, I know one of the questions was around the obstacles and I think um, the commitment that I had behind me was um, that family back, you know, wouldn't have been able to do it at the beginning because just the travel and obviously we know it's an expensive sport to be in. Um, so certainly they have been, yeah, they could see my my drive and my commitment to um where I was headed and and yeah and supported me on the way and and then along that journey I was really fortunate enough to have some really good crew that then nurtured that as well yeah but um yeah I don't know where the vision or the drive came from but I do even now my mindset is always you know a glass half full um I like to I like to look at the positive side of things and um, I have just recently had another big obstacle come my way um, and I think the the background in my skiing um, has certainly given me that resilience and that ability to overcome whatever life throws you um, and I really credit my early days of, of becoming a world champion which was a, a very... Um, yeah, bumpy road on the way. It didn't come easy. I had to certainly um, put a lot of hard yards in, and I'd, I'd still, I still say today that I wasn't the most natural skier. I just really had a lot of grit, had a lot of help and support along the way. But I was prepared to, um, yeah, put the hard yards in as well. But you know, Chelsea, it just, it isn't just one person. I mean, you need a good team behind you. Um, so I was really lucky, really lucky. Along my way, I had a variety of different crew, um, some from Victoria, and then obviously um, my journey then led me to to live in um, far north Queensland. And I'd have to say, yeah, um, the Moors took me out. I had people that supported me along the way um, and I couldn't have done it with any of them, without any of them. I. That's awesome to hear and I, I love the fact that it's always glass half full and you are so right, it, it, everything that gets thrown at us in life, we need that resilience and, and you use that word and we also need to stay positive 
Uh, you are 100% correct. And it was music to my ear when you said it didn't all come naturally. I just had the grit and worked hard because I'm, I'm hearing you, sister. That's exactly my water ski racing career. I never just whacked the ski on and did the results. But there was plenty of uh, long hours in the gym and on the water and plenty of tears. That uh, you are very true in your words when you say that there was so many people. There's so many people in the background that, uh, and when we say that, you're talking 15, 20 people to get through a Worlds campaign that are right beside you. But those people were all there because they could obviously see the mindset you had installed. They could see the journey that you were willing to take to make it happen. And after hearing that, there is no surprise whatsoever that you are one of only 14 women to ever win an IWWF world title uh, since 1979. So one of 14, pretty, pretty impressive. And you went on to win your world championship in 1999 in, in Spain. And I would love to hear about that journey. Um, please do share the, the tears in the gym because I know I had a few. My now husband copped it a fair bit along the journey as well, the poor thing. But um, let's let's listen. Let's give the listeners uh, that story about you becoming the 1999 IWWF World Champion. Well, Chelsea, at that point, I was living in Cairns, um, and I was a phys ed teacher. Um, so, yeah, I used to. It was a lot of getting up early, but again, I had to have the crew. So I'd have to. I'd have to really thank, um, you know, Wayne Moore, his dad, Roy. Um, Fozzie that used to come out observing with me each morning. It was rain, hail or shine. I would have to be very committed and, you know, get on the water by 5, 5.30. Um, I think the training in Cairns was what got me to the world title, to be honest. Um, having the ability to go out in the big rough water um, and also being just given that advice, like, you know, they got me on um, to ski on fence palings and things that I would have never probably have done with no bindings to to build my strength and also just to give me that balance. Um, you know, being able to ski across to Fitzroy Island and then having to um, run up to the lighthouse and then, you know, coming back down, you know, it, it certainly um, built up my stamina and my strength um, so that when I did get onto the race ski, it certainly felt easy not, not easy but it was you know it just gave me that little bit of an edge and probably um if I was still living in Victoria it was it was it was trickier to get that those kind of conditions because you know we live on the we live on the Murray River um so most of our conditions are very you know really smooth um it's a lot of fast water training um whereas going up there yeah gave me um an experience to work in the ocean water you know the open water um and yeah I really so grateful for the you know the hours that people put into me hours um you know I was being able to given you know personal training like things that um I had never probably always had along the way um so yeah but throughout it I you know I did have to work so and being a phys ed teacher out in far north Queensland, you know, it was it was quite grueling. Um, but yeah, I suppose I'm very I'm a really routine person, still am now. Um, so you know, I would get to bed early, I would pack my things for the day, I would do my training, I would go work at school, then I'd come home and then do some more training, go home, eat, repeat. Um, yeah, so I think that certainly helped me along the way to getting to Spain. Well, no, I shouldn't say help me. Yeah, it definitely helped me. Um, and, yeah, I was fortunate to be able to ski behind the cyclone crew and, you know, Gavin Mackay and Pat Irani. Um, Pat's known me for years, you know, doing, you know, being in all the Victorian races and watching and observing me. You know, he, he had, um, you know, he just knew me so well. So I think it was nurturing to know, even though he wasn't living in Cairns for a lot of the training, he was there when I did, you know, when we got together. And even when I was skiing behind Gavin, you know, the most gentle person I have ever met and so strategic, um, I just felt safe. And I think that's one thing, particularly when I got to that stage, there were, there were doubts in my mind and, you know, obviously not wanting to get hurt, um, yeah, there was times where, yeah, I needed to know that I had a crew that was going to fully embrace me 
and they did and they did and honestly I couldn't have done it without them I think um, you say felt safe and to be honest that is absolutely critical in the sport of water ski racing and if there's one thing we can tell the youngsters that are listening to this podcast is always ensure that you're with a crew that that makes you feel safe Uh, Mm. it's so so important and also the relationship between the observer and the skier you talk about Pat and yeah, your Pat is my Christian apps in the fact that, yeah, they, they live in country Vic too, so they couldn't follow you and I around to travel into state and everywhere to, to get ready for a world campaign. But when they showed up on game day, you had 100% trust in them. Uh, you know, I always used to say to, to Apsy, like, you know, I trust you with my life because legitimately I trusted him with my life. And that relationship between the skier and observer observer is just absolutely critical to success. And it's music to my ears again listening to you say that because it's just so true. Um, you talk through routine. Uh, routine, again, is just mimicked in every single podcast that I've done. People that are trying to succeed are just so routine. Um, I laughed because I used to have a laminated piece of paper in my, in my shower, which had my daily activities in there. So, you know, get out of bed at 5 a.m., meditate from 5 to 5.30 um, stretch 5.30 to 6, get ready for work, go into the city, you know, finish work at, at 6, go to the gym, and it just literally gym from 6 to 7.30, dinner 7.30 to 8, like stretch 8 to 8.30. And people would laugh, but um, it is, again, it's something I hear so many people talk about. And a, a good friend of mine, Lucy Savona, I was at her house the other week. She just kicked the box of running a marathon and she competed in some world championships for skiing. And I laughed because I walked into her house and on her fridge was her was her daily timetable broken into 30-minute slots of what she had to do every 30 minutes. So, again, for the young kids that are listening, uh, routine, Joe, sounds like it's a pretty important in success, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, and I just read something just recently, I think routines and rhythms also create that, that safe space. People like, I think everyone has different ways that they learn and the way that they operate. But I think it just cre- it creates a calm space knowing what's going to come next. You know, we don't know what's going to happen out in the water, but if we can, um, and in life, in life, we don't, things are going to just be thrown at us, but if we can create enough routine and rhythms in ourselves, um, that then we can overcome whatever, you know, we support, we, it helps to get us through, but I, certainly I found that helpful to me and I I still operate the same way. Yes, I agree and I am exactly the same. Uh, my poor husband, he's sometimes like, no, we've got to do this now. It's all, all of our routine. So, look, you've just spoken us through 1999, the awesome crew you had to win that world championships, but I know fact that you actually did uh, because I watched you at the Sydney ones uh, competing a few other world titles. Would love to hear a bit of a bit about the other world championships and and how you went in those, but also the variance from the 1999 journey where you actually won compared to the other the other world championships where you showed up and and I, I think you did get a few podiums uh, in in previous world titles as well. Um, Chelsea, I've only like I only really represented Australia three times. The first one was in France, and I was actually a reserve skier. I think by memory, I might have only been sixteen. I can't, I really can't remember. But um, from there, then I obviously got to ski in the Sydney one, and that was behind Mirage. And we did have some mechanical failure at one point. Um, I think the biggest difference, the first time round, it was just a whole journey of learning. Like my dad would drive me 10 hours to Sydney every other weekend. So I think um, the travel was taxing. The travel was really hard because I felt like when I got there, I was exhausted before I even got onto the skis. I was lucky at the time and you know, when ANSET used to be flying, we used to get, we were able to get some um, sponsorship to get some flights, but even just like travelling from Echuca to Melbourne, it's, you know, two and a half hours, three hours to the airport, then from the airport to Sydney, and then you find in your accommodation then skiing. So I think um, I was young, we were, it was all new. The selection races were all new. It was just 
finding out how it all worked basically um and then I feel like it was sort of like I was in year 12 a lot of the time even just prior to some of my so I was studying I was doing school I was my parents had me working at Coles like so I sort of there was just lots of I had to fit in a lot of things um and I think it made me a better skier because yeah again I didn't it didn't come easily um I had to work even just you know on doing sponsorship letters and trying to get you know certain things so we could get ourselves to Sydney a lot because um, most back then most of the selection races were in Sydney. Um, but yeah, I think from going from that first one as a reserve skier, just seeing how it all sort of worked, and then the next one gave, in Sydney gave me that opportunity to have a go at skiing. But also, yeah, obviously, um, then I was sort of in Cairns, and I think that's what really helped me um just that that additional training that support and then also having a bit more wisdom around how it how it all works um I didn't have to travel obviously I still had to travel to Sydney for my selection races um but the training itself I was I was there and I had yeah I had a lot of a lot of people behind me they didn't need to be behind me, but they were like, you know, this was um, just as much so many other people's journey. And I just, I really credit the time and effort and the money that came with that to help me get there. Yeah. I think from talking to you though, it's very obvious that you had a goal and you were willing to do anything to achieve that. Uh, and you talk about the fatigue of travel not many people would go on 10-hour journeys every weekend uh, to, to follow their love and try and achieve their goal. And that's why you have an army of people that wanted to be on your journey because they loved it as much as you did and they knew that with, with their support along with your mindset and, and resilience and persistence to the, the goal, you were going to make it happen and, and you did, which is, which is really, 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 really cool. But it's um I know that none of this happens without obstacles as well and you you've you've spoken through it's quite interesting because the listeners may not know but it's it's really cool for me to be talking to you because we are uh the only two female water ski racers from Victoria to ever win an open women's world championship so out of the 14 there's only you and I from Victoria so it's pretty special uh that we get to chat today but it is, again, there is so many familiar aspects to our journeys and the fact that, like you, I also chose to go interstate to experience multiple water conditions to make sure I was prepared for absolutely everything that was going to get thrown at me. And that's what I've just taken from your, from your world's journey is that you were willing. You went to Cairns. You moved your whole life to Cairns to live up there with the Moore family to make it happen. You traveled 10 hours for other world campaigns to make sure that you trained in conditions that uh, familiarized yourself so that anything got thrown at you you were you were ready for that um so very very familiar stories there from both of our journeys now I've got to jump back to living in Cairns because I myself did a few weekends up in Cairns with Mark Weaver and Wayne Moore and when I was about to jump into the water for the first time on my first training run in Cairns um, in, in true Wayne style, he leant over the side of boat, the boat and said to me, Charles, and I'm like, yeah. He said, Sonny always says, don't smile at the crocodile. Mm. Now, um, as I looked over to the wetlands right near the boat ramp there in that little creek, thinking, oh, my God, there's freaking crocodiles in the water here. Um, so you spent obviously a few months training amongst the crocs. Well, and it's interesting, um, like I did, going to Cairns wasn't just for the water skiing. I did, obviously, people, some people knew, but yeah, we were, um, obviously I was um, seeing Wayne at the time and he was, he's always been my role model, still is today. Um, his de determination and just talent, amazing. Um, but yeah, I can remember when I was first there and they took me out into the creek and I was like, there was no other boats, like, whereas, you know, it's nice smooth water, I'm going and yeah, it did freak me out a little bit about the crocodiles, but they were so comfortable about going in. The only time I think was when I used to do a bit of barefooting and I would like, I would feel a bit weird having my like my feet just dangling under. Um, but I had so much trust in them. So I'm thinking, well, if they come out here, like, yeah, I don't know how I'd feel now. I might be a little bit more, mm, not sure about that. But 
certainly those days I just, I trusted them and I had them, you know, I kind of figured that they were going to look after me as well. So I was hoping that I would just try to quickly get in and quickly get out. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm hearing you. I uh, made I me would, up on I'd... the fence paling quickly. Oh, God. Yeah, and you wouldn't want to fall off, off on the fence paling. Exactly. That's right. I've trained you to be a world champion. You don't want to fall off. But yeah. no, Wayne Moore, absolutely. He is the ultimate. I think he's the go-to water ski racing and wakeboarding and everything. He's an absolute pocket rocket, that guy. And probably one of the nicest people I've ever met in the sport. He would give time to anyone who reached out to him um yeah, very, he's humble, absolute very, humble. very very humble and an absolute amazing athlete just crazy how talented the guy is but um I'm glad that yeah, it's an eerie feeling that creek so isn't it where you put yes. before you go out into the ocean it's just so eerie but anyway we all survive so keep heading up their kids and scheming cans even though there's crocs they don't eat you so they're friendly crocodiles <laughs> but uh no look it's good to hear. It's good to hear about a, a bit of your your journey outside of just the world campaign because it is a learning curve at the start, and I think it's important for people that potentially embark on their first world campaign without success if it is a true goal to them and they stay with that perseverance that you know can happen uh, and reach out. Like you said, you just reach out to people that have been there, done that, and and we're all willing to help. I'm sure Joe's willing to help if if someone reaches out to her her as well. Uh, look, there's no doubt been obstacles thrown at you throughout your sporting career and life. And we did have a chat prior to starting to record this podcast. Uh, so would love to love for you to share just some of the challenges that you've been faced, not only in your water ski racing career, but also in life and how you do use that glass half full approach to life to, to get through all those obstacles and challenges. Yeah, well, I suppose once I finished, um, like I still social ski and I um, love social skiing and it's something that just recently I've had an obstacle to overcome I had a uh lipoma cyst on the back of my neck that was going to be quite a simple procedure done in October that ended up being a three-month um having nurse visits every second day and going in for another emergency surgery and then I'll be really honest Chelsea probably the most scariest Thing I've ever had to overcome and that was having a hole a hole literally in the back of my neck um and not just not a small hole quite quite big and I was attached to a um what they call a back machine for seven weeks which is a shoes behind around my neck and a machine that I had to carry around 24 7 however I'd have to say my resilience and my and just knowing to overcome that what what did I need to do and that was really coming you know deep within um you know doing lots of meditations yoga probably has been something that I've got into more after my skiing I wished I'd probably had it a bit more um when I was going through that journey but um when I after I when I was able to have children I wasn't able to have children so my two children um, are five and a half years apart and that came with you know seven IVF attempts and um, yeah so again I think the resilience I just I knew I wanted to have kids so I just I made sure I did whatever I could and that was asking for support that was you know um working on things just in myself to try to be able to and that a lot of that came to just surrendering I've just trusting life now I think sometimes that's one thing I probably wished I'd had known a bit more and I'm still learning is you can put the routines in place you can there's only a certain amount of element that you can control and I think sometimes it's finding that balance of what do you need to let go of and then also you know the amount of energy that you can take in your mind trying to control things when it's out of your control rather than, you know, tapping into the, in, in, you know, the inner world of yourself to, um, to get you there on your journey. So I think both of these things um, have certainly been things I've had to overcome and I, I credit my resilience, um, my growth mindset from skiing to help me get there. And I've actually... Um, yeah, I wasn't back, allowed back on the water this year until the 19th of January and I've, I've got a fairly big scar on the back of my neck, but I'm back out in the water and I'm just really grateful that I've been able to, yeah, overcome that as well. Yeah, and I certainly, um, one thing I would 
yeah, probably add in if I'd known, but that's what life is all about. It teaches you and then you can hopefully pass it on to others. Um, and I, I think I, um, in my work that I do outside, I am a, um, a social worker and I, I do work in a school as a mental health practitioner and it's really just coaching young people about wellness and how we can, our mindset, movement, you know, the way we exercise, sleep, our, the way we eat can all help with our, um, with our mind, our bodies and how we feel. So I think those are things that I've had to, you know, um, yeah, I've learned along the way, Chelsea, I think. And I think it, for me, it was about, you know, I can't try, I can't control every situation, even though I want to. Um, so yeah, life throws you things. And uh, now that I've got through both of those obstacles, I'm really grateful that I, that I had them because it's taught me so much about myself. Um, it's also allowed me to become more bonded to my family, to my, my, you know, not only my, um, my husband and my children, but my, my parents, my sister, my brother, you know, my friends, it's, it's amazing. The community that's around you, um, there to support you. I think that was one thing that I was just, yeah, blown away with. Wow, thank you, Joe, for sharing that very personal and um, emotional information. You're so true. Family and support is just a wonderful thing, especially through such difficult times like that. And uh, you're not wrong when you embark on such a huge medical event and, and such such large obstacles, I think the resilience that you've learned through the sport of, of water ski racing and actually just the true athlete you are in general really does come to play. But one thing I picked up from everything you said is is that controlling the controllables and not wasting energy on things that you can't control. And that's something that I have practiced much better now in my 30s than in my 20s. I used to try and control everything and I drive myself to the ground trying to do it. But controlling the controllables is, is definitely something I think comes with age as well when you experience things and realize you can't control everything. But it is a really, really good point to take away um, is focusing on the things we can manage. Uh, through your talks as well and what I picked up on, and I, again, going back to your yoga background, uh, your journey of IVF, I'm, I'm actually an IVF baby. I was so fortunate to have both of my children naturally and, and feel truly blessed for that because I know the journey my mum went through and other close friends of mine are, are going through now to have children. But Again, your resilience was never going to stop you from having children and you've got your two beautiful kids now um, and and you, I, I sort of think the law of attraction came into the way you spoke a bit in the fact that in your mind you were always going to be a mum uh, and, and sometimes having that visualisation and knowing in your head that you're going to be a mum helps you on that journey as well and, and, and there was nothing going to stop you and look, now you're an amazing mum to, to your two to your two kids which is really really cool but uh, do you believe in that sort of stuff too the law of attraction and visualizing things to make sure they're going to happen yeah I'd have to say Chelsea I am I do I am um, I, I am sort of a big believer that you know you know I'll send things out there and then then you know I'll either get a phone call or, or something will happen and I think I do believe that you give them what you need to grow um and that's why I was just saying like I think my journeys my two biggest probably obstacles apart from skiing um have made me a better person made me um so I, I do believe and and then you know if I am yeah I I'm, I know don't get me wrong I'm not an expert yet but I am I am a, a constant worrier um it's something that I have had to deal with all my life um and so I use a lot of these practices of you know to help myself um and then I try to pass that on to people that you know young people that I work with however yeah, it comes, it's a daily practice. And I think it's um, about believing in yourself, but also believing that there is that outside support, you know, the universe, whatever you want to want to think um, that, yeah, life is there to support you. But I think sometimes we then need to, sometimes it's when I drop back in and I, and I let go and I take a deep breath that that's when things will actually flow. So um, it's something that I, yeah, I, I constantly try to have it in the forefront to support myself. 
Yeah. Look, we've we've gone all spiritual on the listeners now, but I uh, I love that stuff, and I sometimes feel we don't talk about those secrets that we have behind the scenes um, yeah. on how we make things happen. But I'm a, absolutely a true believer in in the law of attraction, and I practice practice meditation and creative visualization in every areas of my life, even when it comes down to negotiating with my two year old daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I need a quick five minute meditation session to deal with that, uh, but I think it is just critical in life. I remember my, my Observer Christian app to you know, one of my best mates giving me a book called The Secret, yeah. uh, which is all about the law of attraction. He gave me that book about 12 months before the world uh, in, two, in 19, uh, 2017. And I remember reading that book and, yeah, just being blown away by it. And it was sort of like a, a bit of a game changer in my mind to how how things do work. And I'm a, like you, I'm a big believer in, in letting nature and, and the universe take its place and, and managing your mind and thoughts to, to get the best out of life. So thanks for sharing that I'm not the only one that does that sort of thing and um, we're not crazy after all. So uh, to get the listeners back to probably what they want to hear, although some like hearing that stuff, uh, I want to talk about the fact that you, along with your ski partner, Tracy Graziano, are the only female water skiers um, to ever win the Sydney Bridge to Bridge, one of the biggest ski races in the world, uh, win the Sydney Bridge to Bridge outright. And you won the Sydney Bridge to Bridge outright in 1998. Uh, again, the only ever females to do this. Uh, and how was that? I want to know, how was that perceived back in the 1990s? Because I know these days when we got close to any of the boys, a little bit of a shock to the system. So we've never had the chance to stand on the number one outright podium, but I tell you what, I'm so impressed that you women did back in the 1990s um, and love to hear about how that all was perceived back then. Yeah. And I think Chelsea, I'm really, um, you know, I was grateful for it to, it was a, it was a bit of a rush to be able to have, and that honor to, to have, um, yeah, that achievement. I think um, I, I, I'm not too sure how it was perceived. I try to just stay, you know, I think um, we were in a different, I, th- I think, and also just to let for those males, they were at a different time to us. Um, I think we left in the morning and they were in the afternoon. So, I, you know, there's lots of different things that come into place. Um, ski conditions, who's in front of you, you know. Um, however, I think I think it was... You know, we we did we will we were we did get that achievement, and I think that's awesome. I think um, I think back in those days, women were starting to, you know, ski against the males in some of the superclass. So, yeah, I don't I don't I don't want to say how people were perceived it. I just it was a it was an honor um, to have that opportunity to to get that you know that achievement. Um, I think whenever I've gone into my water skiing, Chelsea, I, even though I was driven to win a world title, I'll be honest, once I won that world title in Spain, you ask anyone, I just went home to my motel room. I, It was a personal journey for me, um, you know, something that I wanted to achieve, but that's, you know, I, I still believe that's how I, you know, when you ask me what were records, I have no idea. I really don't keep, <laughs> I don't keep, I just, I'm grateful for my Spain you know, trophy that I've got in the house. Um, and I certainly, you know, I have spoken about it with my children, but it's it's not everything. It's just part of my, it's part of my being. Um, and yeah, so I don't know how other people perceived it. I'm sure they might've been a bit shocked. They might've been a little bit upset um, or they may have been well, you know, well done. I'm not too sure. Well, Joe, you call Wayne more humble, but I'm about to call you humble because you are you are extremely humble because let me tell you, 20 you say oh different water conditions, which is true and it's quite funny because women now start behind the men uh to make sure that probably that wouldn't happen again who would know uh but after that they did move the women to the back of the field. So, but in saying that 25 years on, you still hold the Sydney Bridge to Bridge record in a very impressive time. And I made a few phone calls trying to find out that time. I'm fairly sure it's a 43-something. Don't hold me to it. I know it, I know it is a very impressive time because um, 
we we haunted your records for a while there, trying to trying mm. to get as many as we could, but we never we never were successful with the Sydney Bridge to Bridge one. So you took out that record in 1997. Um, 25 years on today, still holding that record. When you partnered up with the uh, champion herself, Leanne Brown, scheme behind the race car craft super shot. I got all the stats because you did tell me, Chelf, I can't hardly remember anything. So I thought I'd get the stats for you. Um, the Sydney Bridge was what I was skiing with um, Tracy Graziano, though. No, but the record you hold, I think. Oh, the record. Okay, yes. cool. Perfect. You would know. Yeah. You're hilarious. So you are right. You won outright with Tracy Graziano in 1998. Yeah. Uh, and you also broke the record the year prior. You didn't win outright, but you broke the record the year prior in 1997, scheme with Leanne Brown. Yeah. Um, so, look, you're pretty humble yourself. The Sydney Bridge to Bridge is a drooling 112-kilometre course with multiple different water conditions and I would honestly say the hardest ski race in the world and one of the most well-known ski races in the world and you are still the record holder 25 years later. Not sure, did you even know that? No, no didn't know. Well, there you go. You still, you still hold the record. You're funny. Still hold the record, but also um, you won outright. You mentioned You mentioned in that chat that, in your era, women were starting to move to super class. But again, your humble nature, to be honest, Joe, you and uh, and Leanne and Tracy in that era of amazing um, champion female water skiers started that trend and you actually moved to super class. And how I found, um, how I found this out is because I was, uh, after Madison Boyer, my ski partner Maddie and I broke the women's Southern 80 record uh, in 2018, I went in to get, we were obviously on cloud nine. We were so excited to the 3315. We just were, you know, one of the best days of our lives. We still talk about it to this day. Just something we chased for literally 15 years of our career. And I'm in getting my hair done at the hairdressers, who my hairdresser is your observer, Pat Orani. And he goes to me, oh, congratulations, Chelsea. I said, oh, thanks, Pat. I'm so excited. He said, yeah, but are you the quickest female down the river? And I said, what do you mean, Pat? We won, we got the female open women's record. He's like, yeah, but we are the quickest females down the track. Did you beat our time? I can honestly say, Joe, my heart fell in my chest because I'm like, there is no way I'm going to be able to be proud about getting an open women's record if I'm not the quickest female. Uh, so I didn't know at the time, but yourself and Leanne Brown, again, uh, behind the, the twin rig, what was the twin, twin, twin rig called again? Merc Bullet. Merc Bullet. Merc Bullet. Yeah. So Lindsay Beer, Pat Orani, yourself and Leanne Brown behind Merc Bullet. Uh, in the 1990s, I believe it was 1996, you actually made the change to Superclass. Uh, and it's so funny because you can't remember this. So I'm telling you, off Pat's words, I did do a pre-interview with Pat. <laughs> off Pat's words. You entered Superclass back in the 90s uh, because you wanted to do the dash and there was no president's dash back then. And, and as you mentioned, it's all about who you're seated behind and who you have to overtake, et cetera. So you entered the dash in 1996, I think it was, um, and you did Superclass, two female skiers. And back then, you actually did an extremely impressive time. Uh, my heart was in my chest and I'm going to pack, I've got to look up the results because this is blown my mind like how can I say oh we're the quickest women when we're not the quickest women like it's you're either the quickest women or you're not like you said it's irrelevant of, of records uh the whole thing's irrelevant on the journey but so I looked up your times I've gone through all these archives on the Southern 80 website uh and thankfully it was not much in it I think it was only 20 odd seconds or something uh you did a 20 you did a 33 40 something I think it was so there was literally only 28 seconds or something between the two of us um, but thankfully, I said to Pat, look, here's the results we just bet you. Yeah. Uh, so for all those, it's just hilarious because for all those years, and I'm talking like 10 years, I had my eye on the prize of the Southern 80 record and I had the 34-20, which I think uh, that, that Lee Hicks and Emma Carson did, thinking that was the quickest time. And it was never the quickest time. Your, your 33-40 something was the quickest time that you set back in 1996. So... Um, it's, do you even remember that run and, and do you remember why you moved to Superclass? Oh, I can now that you've told me <laughs> and reminded yeah. me, um, I can remember going in the dash and I can remember skiing behind that bullet. But 
I'll be honest, Chelsea, I never, I probably at the time was, I, we, we were told about times and stuff, but um, you can even ask my, my husband, people that know me, I really, I don't, I don't go by the times and stuff. I just, yeah, even now I just go by the feeling and I just really, it was a personal journey for me, something that, um, I mean, I'm grateful for everything, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, I'm not, yeah, it's just for me, it was just about doing my best. Yeah, yeah. And, it felt, and, that, and it felt good at the time. It felt good at the time. But yeah, I'm. I probably am a bit of a quiet achiever. I can remember I was given a, an invitation in the mail in Cairns to go visit. Um, to it was a very fancy invitation to go see the the Queen in Sydney at the Superdome when the year that I won the World Title. I was thinking, oh well, I've kind of got to work, and uh, I'm not too sure whether I'll be able to to go and everyone's going of course you have to go like so I think for me um yeah I'm, I'm grateful for everything that I've been been given I think at the time I obviously was driven like I was driven and I had great support around me it was a buzz it was certainly a buzz being in the super class it was um an honor to to ski with Leanne Brown because obviously Leanne and Tracy Graziano were my fiercest competitors um but also really good friends as well um you know Leanne we were very different um I think she had a much much more natural ability than I did um I probably had to work 10 times harder but um we just worked we worked together she knew my she knew my rhythm I knew her rhythm um but yeah when we when we had to go out and obviously compete against each other we were it was it was fierce it was hard work but um I think we always had a a great relationship as well if that makes sense yeah, I think that's it's pretty uh, critical to have that really close relationship, especially with your ski partner during that journey because, again, you're trusting each other with each other's lives, aren't you, doing those sort of ridiculous speeds yeah. behind a ski boat and uh, about, on some occasions, less than 10 centimetres apart or bumping shoulders. Yeah. Um, so you definitely got to have definitely got to have that connection. But it blows my mind the times that you women did back in the 1990s behind the types of boat you were doing them behind. It's just... It's so impressive, but I can I can thank you all for allowing me to see what you could do, and and women in sports an interesting topic in itself. And you you speak about some of your journey as a mum and becoming a mum and all of these other things that women deal with whilst trying to pursue these careers in sport and also our academic careers. So it's so good to to allow other females to listen to to your journey and know that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. That's for sure that plenty of hurdles and obstacles and there's lots of young kids in the in the sport and look to be honest your era of um, people looking up to you and knowing who you are is, is probably me uh, and, and we're all we're all now mums too and I know it definitely was me because all of us as kids just idolized yourself Leanne Brown and uh, Tracy Graziano you were just just to us you were amazing and you drove all our success off the back of what you showed us that that females could do in the sport. So for that, I am extremely thankful. But there is going to be no doubt lots of young females and male um, junior skiers that are going to listen to this podcast. Uh, well, I hope they do because there's so much information that's of great value. Uh, and if they do, I guess what's one thing that you would tell them, maybe something you do every day to help you stay balanced and, and keep on your, your routine and journey or as a competitor, uh, you know, what's one thing that you, you would say to those kids that listen today and to help them, to help them stay on their, their, their journey to success and just having a happy and healthy life, really? I mean, I do multiple things, but if you're going to just pick one thing, I'd have to say that, um, and I probably didn't do enough of this when I was training, but I do, I am, I do do daily meditations in the morning and in the evening. And I just know that just brings me into a much better state, whether it's only five minutes. Um, yeah, but I, yeah, there's a few, I, I certainly have a morning routine to set myself up, but I think if I was to give some advice as well as you know, it's, it's a mental, it is a mental thing, but I think it's about working smarter, not harder, um, training smarter, not harder. I think it's um, about, you know, keeping that balance. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, rest days are important. You know, I think it's really important to incorporate, you know, yoga, stretching, whatever whatever makes you feel good 
in the mind is really important as well. And I think it's about setting goals, but also being flexible. And I think um, I think the IVF journey was a journey for me because yeah, I couldn't control it. You can I can have routines, but there's certain things that are just out of my control. So it was also learning to be a bit more flexible. Um, and I have certainly come a long way in that. I have learnt, yeah, um, to adjust, to adjust to how I feel. And that's why I think um, listen to your body. Surround yourself with people that make you feel good. You know, you're, you know, you're a product of the five people that you're around. And I think it's really important to be around those that, you know, that are going to cheer you on as much as you're going to cheer yourself on. Um, because, yeah, life throws you curveballs, life, you know, the sport, it's not, a, it's not always easy. It's not always, uh, and I think if it was easy, you wouldn't get where, you know, I think I credit the hard work and journey, you know, I think the failures are what, are not failures, they're actually growth, little, you know, they're stepping stones to make you grow and to make you better and also to make you more um, appreciative of what, you know, and that's why when I was said that I don't really worry about the times or the records, it's not that I'm not grateful for them and I certainly are proud of what, what I've done, but it was how it made me feel. You know, I it was a personal journey and alongside that it was a journey of not only mine but everyone else that, that was in my team, my family, my friends, my observer, my drivers, my the ones that were driving and observing for me that weren't at the world titles but were with me every single morning, they were the ones that did it. You know, it was a journey of everybody and I think it's just around coming back to, yeah, it's your mindset, mindset and I think it's just about um, making sure that you're, you're balanced, being really balanced. I think I've just spoken too That's- much, Kelsey. <laughs> No, that is exactly what I want. I'm so impressed with the way you're delivering this information. I love it. It's like an educational session for me. I can tell that you do education. Uh, Look, I just love it. I also require meditation because my mind's 100 miles per hour, like my uh, personality. And I think mindset and calm in the mind is an awesome thing. And for, for all the junior or younger listeners, like meditation, like you said, it can be five minutes. And Find something you like. It's actually just about settling the mind. It doesn't have to be some voice that you don't like listening to. It doesn't have to be a set type of meditation. Just about literally taking five minutes out of your day to sit down and clear Mm. your mind and do some breathing. And, uh, you know, people, I think, get on this meditation app or something and they hate it. It's not about that. You find what helps you clear your mind. It could be sitting outside in your back deck and taking a few deep breaths for five minutes and clearing the mind. So I think that is a, a really integral part to success no matter what area of life loves the word smarter not harder say it to my husband all the time and I think that is a hard thing as an athlete I remember when Craig Burton my trainer uh or my coach at the time used to tell me you have to have a rest day and in my mind thinking I can't rest I won't win if I rest I won't win like I feel good I don't need to rest and him saying to me today's a rest day your body needs to rest and and being able to process as an athlete that today I've only allowed to stretch for 20 minutes or something it's sometimes challenging rest days because you're just mind so much on where you want to get to that if you feel good, you think you're fine. But uh, it is true. You need to work smarter, not harder. Um, and and it's, it's really, really good advice to pass on. And to finish off on that recap, the uh, if it was easy, everyone would do it, wouldn't it really? Like a, uh, if it was easy, we'd all be doing it. We'd all be winning world championships. So anyone that is looking to embark on such a journey, no matter what area of life, whether sport or career, Nothing, unfortunately, comes easy because if it did, we'd all, we'd all do it. So you definitely need, need to be prepared for that. And just don't think you're talking too much because I'm absolutely loving this. Uh, I might just steal you for another hour of coaching after this for free if that's, in, if that's okay. But, no, look, Jo, I'm so thankful for your time and the information you have provided to not only myself but the listeners has just been second to none. It's just amazing content to share with not only the water ski racing community, but the broader community. And I can definitely tell that you you play a space in education the way you've delivered delivered the information and shared your personal life and journey with us. I know there is so much more to, to Joe Webb or uh, as the water ski racing community knows you, Joe Hamilton, than just ski racing. Uh, you're a mum. I know you had a little dabble or you actually, not a little dabble, I think for years, and I'd love for you to touch off on it before we finish. You competed as a triathlete as well. Um, 
So I'd love to hear just a little bit about Joe off the water and your your sporting and, and life after uh, after your ski racing achievements as well. Um, well, yeah, I think you're right, Chelsea. After I finished the Worlds, I did do a couple of more races in Cairns. Um, and I did, I was um, fortunate enough to get a little sponsorship with um, a bike shop and did do some triathlons in Cairns, which is, yeah, which I really enjoyed. I moved back home um, and, yeah, I've probably always, I'm an active person. I like to, I like to move. Um, these days I just enjoy riding my bike around the scenic. I need to be near water I need to be outside a lot um I walk a lot I've got two big Labradors um that keep me um walking quite fast so yeah I walk a lot I I sort of have given up running a little bit but I think that's just years of water skiing and just the effect on my body so I'm I'm trying to you know listen to my body um and make adjustments as I come but yeah certainly I I still get up at 5 30 in the morning um I'll go for a, a, you know, a big walk around, you know, the, a river track. If um, I always love to swim each morning and I'm just really grateful now to be able to be back in the water because that was probably the hardest fit when I had um, the, the neck injury that I wasn't able to get back in the water. And water, for those that know me, water is a, a key part of my life. Um, so, yeah, I'm sort of, you know, we've got, we're lucky to have a little pool here and I swim each day. Um, yeah, so if I'm not on my bike, I'm walking my dogs, I'm swimming. Um, yeah, and I, I probably, and then I'm obviously my yoga is important. So I do teach yoga and I also do my own personal practice every day. Um, I'm working in a mental health practitioner role at a school. So yeah, I do support a lot of students with just, you know, their own well-being, their goals. Um, so yeah, that keeps me busy with my children. I've got two very um, active children. My daughter dances a lot, and um, yeah, I'm I'm really involved in her dance. Like just watching, I actually probably wished I'd done some dance when I was younger. Um, but yeah, it's lovely to see her shine in the area that she does. My children do enjoy water skiing. They probably got into it because of mum. And yeah, it's just nice to see them enjoy coming out. And and, and I think, again, it's not just about the skiing. It's about being together as a family, sitting in a boat, um, being out in nature. Yeah, anything that can get me near water. I like, I, I, every day I will eat either outside near my fountain or outside near my pool decking, even in winter. The rest of the crew will sit inside. They think it's way too cold, but I just, I just need to be outside and near water, Chelsea. <laughs> Oh, look, there's plenty of similarities, although I think I'm probably slightly more crazy than you. I think you're a bit more grounded, but uh, <laughs> but there's plenty of similarities I can hear in our lives. Uh, the uh, wa- love for water and the love for being out in the boat, just having that family fun is two things that are pretty strong in this household as well. So it's so, so good to have listened to, to all this information. And Joe, I always love finish my podcast with a bit of a funny fact um, about you. So I've got one I've got one but I want you to I know I've done some research don't worry about me everyone I can see Jo on the screen and she's laughing but it's like she's muting or something when she laughs so um, I've got a funny fact because I've done a little bit of research about you in the last couple of uh, days but I want you to share one as well so while I'm sharing mine you share yours but a little birdie told me um, in the 1998 Sydney Bridge to Bridge outright win that as you were nearing the finish line, you apparently got hit by a fish. I did. Yes. So share share that with us because I was like, what do you mean she got hit by a fish? And and my birdie said a fish jumped out of the water and hit her. Yes. Gosh, Chelsea, you're good. I can't can't so remember that. And I'm thinking that's Pat Irani that has told you that. Um, it wasn't. It, it wasn't was Padorani. This one. Mm. No, we'll share. We'll share the mole. The uh, the little birdie was actually Daniel Graziano. Oh gosh, yes, I can remember. I don't remember where it hit me. Whether it hit me on my um, but it and it hit hard. Obviously, going at those speeds. Um, and it's interesting. Even now, I do get a little triggered when when we're out in the river, 
and you know your social skiing and you're going to cut hard and then you see a, like a, a fish jump out but yeah it did it did hit me so you have done well to remember that and get that information um oh, yeah it's so it's so funny when I heard it I was like oh my god I'm it like, did hurt could you imagine it did hurt. could you imagine if you had a fallen off from having a fish hit you when you're about to win outright <laughs> it did anyway hurt. thankfully it's I can remember Thankfully, it's just a funny fact. Hurting. Um, oh gosh, I don't know. I'm not really that funny. My sister's the funny one in the family. Um, and I'm really grateful for her because she always makes us laugh. Um, my mum's pretty funny too sometimes as well. So um, fun fact, I don't know. I feel like I'm quite boring, Chelsea. I'm a bit of a home hermit. I've never drank in my life. So I'm sort of like, yeah, you know, if you don't, and that's why when you first initially said to me about doing a podcast, we I could do it any night. I'm thinking, uh-uh, I go to bed at 8, 30, 9 o'clock. I shut down at like 7. It's like not doing it, at, you know, not going to be doing it yeah. at that time of night. Um, yeah, I suppose one thing that my my daughter probably, she's got used to me now, but when I go to pick her up from dance, I do enjoy a lot of her, all of her dance community are very similar to the ski community. They're just so supportive and um, it's so lovely to see, I think, that whatever sport you're in, if you're around like-minded people, people that lift you up and the energy. And so sometimes when I do go to pick her up from dance and they've got the music going, I kind of like I'm, a you know, the 47-year-old adult goes in there and they think I'm like 17 and start dancing. With them. And then Molly looks at me and she goes, Mom, and then she kind of puts her head down and then she goes, oh, they really do like you doing it though, so don't stop. Um, yeah. Ah! When, when I hear the music, yeah, again, I probably would have liked to have come back and introduced a bit of dance in my life as well. I'm just lucky oh, to that's be able awesome. to see her do it now. Yeah, that's right. You're you're reliving your missed dance opportunities for your daughter, which is pretty funny. But yeah. it is um, my as you and I were trying to negotiate a time to do this podcast today. You're like, can you do this time? And I'm like, no, I've got to drop Mia off to dance. And then we get on the podcast, and you're like, oh, I've just dropped Molly to dance. So um, as you know, my two-year-old does dance and funny you say that because the other day I was in there and I was bopping and my two-year-old turned around to me and she's quite good with her literature, uh, with her voice and speaking already, which is no surprise because I don't stop speaking. Uh, she turns around to me and she says, mum, stop and put her hand up. And I was blown away. So obviously the um, fun mum embarrassment's already hitting her, the poor girl, but uh that's awesome. You've got to keep mum life fun, don't we? Otherwise, we'd go damn crazy. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Now, thank you so much, Joe. It's awesome to hear uh, that you are a fun mum, that you got hit by a fish just before you won the uh, Sydney Bridge to Bridge out, all right? You're the IWW, you're one of 14 of the IWWF Open Women's World Champion. And most importantly, you're now a mum and a mover that just walks around a chuka and it's funny because I was talking to Apsy about doing this podcast with you and I said, oh, I haven't, it's so funny because I've never really seen Joe in a chuka uh, and I'm there all the time, as you know, and Apsy said, oh, just go down and sit one of the cafes at about 6am and she'll walk past the shawl. I see her every day when I'm driving around for, walk, for work, walking her dogs. And he literally word for word said that. So it's just, and you said, oh yeah, I go for walks every day with my dog down the scenic. So... Uh, I don't think it goes unnoticed that you walk around town 24-7. Um, the, 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 obviously, the ski racing community see you on your on your merry way. So uh, it's very funny. You can't go unnoticed in that community, though, can you, Joe? Especially not a superstar like yourself. Thanks for your time, Joe. I've loved hearing about your journey. Uh, I know the listeners will get great value from what sh- stories you've shared today. You've really opened up and shared some personal ones, uh, especially around your IVF journey, which I really, really appreciate because... Females in sport, it can be challenging um, as we especially approach those later years of our sporting career and transitioning to mum life and, and what gets thrown at us and the drastic change in life from um, from travelling the world water skiing to becoming a mum, which I've experienced in the last two years and, and how we do transfer those water skiing um, traits and, and mental strength from one to the other uh, is definitely inspiring for the females uh, of the sport, that's for sure. And I think hearing your stories just, reiterates that to me that we are all wired the same way us females um we're pretty pretty cool machines that that's um definitely true but you're an amazing woman I really appreciate your time and and let's hope I might have to go sit at one of those cafes at 6am to uh to catch up in person because 
we have ended up um, doing this via Zoom again. We were hoping to get together. Um, so let's hope we do get to cross paths in the Compassity Shire community at some point. Um, just a shout out to the listeners. Sorry if you can hear a little bit of mumbling in the background. I do have my little baby Jet on my lap who is now actually snoring. Um, as Joe knows, he had to come come in midway through. He wanted his mummy. So he's snoring in the background there. So apologies, apologies for that. But hand over to you, Joe, for the final goodbyes. Thank anyone that you want to thank for your for your amazing water ski racing uh, journey. And again, just appreciate your time. I know the listeners are absolutely going to love this podcast. So thanks again, Joe. You're a superstar. Oh, thank you, Chelsea. And just thank you for reaching out. And, you know, um, it's nice to have been able to speak um, with yourself. And, yeah, it would be lovely to catch up in personal because I don't feel like, we've, you know, I was a lot older than you, so I probably didn't cross paths as much. But, yeah, definitely I'm always walking my dogs 5.30 till, you know, 6.30. So um, I'm sure you will see me out and about. Um, there's so many people to thank along the way, obviously, all my Vic crew to start with, my family, when I went to far north Queensland, couldn't have done it without all the crew there. Um, yeah, I really just want to thank everyone that's helped me along the way. There's just, yeah, so many to, to name. They know who they are. Um, and, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm really touched that you've um, asked me to be on the journey and do this recording. It's gone for a long time, so I hope people are, are okay with listening for so long. But, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Joe, and I will see you soon. Enjoy listening. This episode of On The Road was brought to you by Coldies, Bull Bars and Tow Bars, Savage Force and Automation and Robotics Services. It is produced by Boris the Boxer Productions in conjunction with Bisho Media, Mel's Media and Bad Lad Productions.